This week's episode of Nightmare on Film Street is brought to you by the horror short film Vody from Little Baker Films. From the muck and the mire of the swamps of 1980s Hollywood rises a new kind of cartoon pal. Celebrated artist Al Yakko returns to his family's abandoned storybook home in Los Angeles to claim what his father and grandfather could never achieve. Eternal fame. But Al gets more than he bargained for when he discovers an old drawing in the attic that takes on a life of its own. Vody. Can his trusty animated confidant Bugsy pull Al out of the sinking bog that Vody has sunk him into? Or will Al sell his soul for the chance at seeing his name on the big screen? Vody is Dario Argento meets Walt Disney by Lil Baker Films. Now, if I could just like put a pause in this ad for a half a second, I'm real sorry to do this, but Dario Argento meets Walt Disney is the mashup I didn't know I needed, and I want it put directly into my veins. Uh, Vody is an indie horror short film about a cartoonist who returns to his family home in Hollywood to find strange visions and family curses. It's one of a whole slew of projects from Little Baker Films, and you can follow their progress online uh, at littlebakerfilms.com or on Twitter and Instagram at littlebakerfilms. That's L-I-L-B-A-K-E-R Films. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to another episode of Nightmare on Film Street the horror movie podcast for the casually obsessed. I'm John, and I'm here doing the intro solo again this week. Kim will be joining me very shortly for our interview with writer-director Axel Carolyn to talk about her new film, The Manor, which is part of the Welcome to the Blumhouse double feature event. It started last week with Gigi Saul Guerrero's Bingo Hell, as well as Black as Night. And this week, you can enjoy Madras and The Manor on a double bill over at Amazon Prime Video beginning October 8th. That's this Friday, if you're listening to this the day the podcast comes out. We had a great time talking with Axel Carolyn a few weeks ago, uh, ahead of the uh, ahead of the release of, of The Manor. And whether you know it or not, you are already familiar, very familiar with Axel Carolyn's work. She directed the Grim Grinning Ghost segment in the Tales of Halloween Horror Anthology. Uh, she directed the Dead and Breakfast segment on the Creep Show series. Uh, she's directed episodes of The Haunting of Bly Manor, American Horror Story, and she's one of the directors selected by Mike Flanagan for The Midnight Club, uh, coming to Netflix in 2022, which is an adaptation of Christopher Pike books. I have a pretty good feeling that if you are of a certain age listening to this right now, you are very excited about that news, and don't worry, we get plenty of time to talk with her about it later in the podcast. The Manor stars Barbara Hershey, who you'll no doubt recognize from the entity Insidious uh, Beaches, as a grandmother who has admitted herself into a retirement facility. Of course, things are not quite what they seem. Things go bump in the night. There are fucking monsters crawling along the ceiling, and the oh, the staff. Something's wrong with them. 
it's gothic horror through and through, set in a a beautiful old home, and is a perfect watch for the Halloween season. Uh, actually, fun fact you'll hear later on, they shot a sequence uh, of the movie on Halloween Day, and everybody showed up in costume. It honestly sounds like the greatest Halloween day ever, which is super fitting because Axel Carolyn, as you will hear immediately, is you know one of the biggest horror fans and and... Halloween-obsessed people that we've ever been fortunate enough to talk with. Actually, before we started recording, she took us around and gave us a tour of her house, and I gotta tell you, it looks like she lives in a museum of cool-ass horror shit. She she even has props from Haunting of Bly Manor just on display in her living room. It was an absolute blast. I hope you enjoy the, uh, I hope you enjoy our interview with writer-director Axel Carolyn. And don't worry, if you haven't had a chance to watch The Manor yet, by the time you're listening to this episode, there are absolutely no spoilers that will ruin your, your viewing experience of the movie. Uh, you know, we talk a little bit about the villain, about the look, but nothing that would give away one of the, one of the darkest and most and interesting endings of any of the movies of this Welcome to the Blumhouse series, I, I have to say. We hope you enjoy our interview with writer-director Axel Carolyn, so let's get into it. Here's the trailer for The Manor. I wasn't ready for this change, but my prognosis isn't good. You don't belong here. Don't worry, I'll be okay. Whatever's coming next, I don't want my family to see me like that. How do you like your new home? It's beautiful. Takes a bit of time, but you'll fit right in. Anyone there? Are you okay? Last night, I saw something. What was it? Not being able to distinguish between what's real and what's a dream. That's a sign of dementia. (gasps) Whatever I see at night, it's real. Mom, we all want you to feel better. Why won't you believe me? I need to get out of this place. The only way you're getting out of here in a box. Look at these names. My roommate, she died last night. All the others have died too. I'm not crazy! When you experience something disorienting, close your eyes and count to five. you open them again whatever you saw or heard will be gone thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today thank you thank you so much for doing this this is awesome like as i was saying i listened to a podcast so this is really cool oh that's so cool yeah we've been like it's been a long time coming i feel like we've been following your stuff for a while so this is really cool yeah, we've been following each other for a long time. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad this is finally happening. So how did, how did you get involved with the Welcome to Blumhouse project? So I wrote this script quite some time ago. Like I think it, it was, we shot it two years ago, so it's been a while. 
but I, I it took me a while to write the script because it deals with a lot of themes that are very personal and very kind of I wanted it to be at a certain place before I could send it out and then we took it out and a lot of people responded really well to it but had issues with the fact that it was uh, that all the protagonists were in the, the, their 70s which makes it tougher to make it look like a marketable kind of you know it's not your typical horror protagonist so it made it more difficult for them and then I brought it to Amazon and they loved it and they were in the starting stages of doing the Welcome to the Blumhouse project so they thought we'd love to do this and we'd love to bring it to Blumhouse and, uh, and, and make this one of the first ones that we shoot. So this was the second one of the Welcome to Blumhouse movies. And it should have been released last year because wow. of the pandemic and the subject matter. They just thought it would be a better idea to push it back to now. Oh, that makes sense, too, because with with COVID, there's been a lot of, I guess, clarity in terms of senior care and how like mm -hmm. how poorly seniors are treated and stuff. And it actually makes this even more timely now to set your film there. Well, it's a kind of playing that fine line between being timely and not feeling like it's it's the wrong, you know, it's 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 insensitive to release at that point. And it could make the argument that what happened last year is, is more terrifying than what happens in the movie in some ways. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was, but, but this is a conversation that's been impending, I think for many years and the way that we treat our seniors and the way that nursing homes are built and the way that there's so many, so many different things that I thought are scary and like just looking at loved ones going through it, but then thinking at some point we will be going through that as well and what it means and what we want for ourselves and, and how we see ourselves aging and all those kinds of questions are very, very scary to me and very personal. And at the time that I was writing this, my that I started writing it at least, my dad was uh, suffering from dementia and he was placed in a nursing home. And so there was a lot of very personal and very deep things that went into this. But then I wanted this to be a creature feature and be a, a supernatural mystery and be kind of it's a little bit goofy so you know it's it's I feel like horror is great at exercising your fears and as a writer or as a director it's just a very expensive form of therapy so it's <laughs> it, yeah that's that's what went into it <laughs> and it well definitely marries the two like the real life fear that you're afraid to address and kind of not necessarily campifies it but but puts it into like and something that your brain can understand like oh there's a creature here something is wrong like how we're how we're reacting to what's happening here is is wrong something's off right and that's what horror does isn't it it's in the same way that sci-fi can can comment on society i think that horror is so good at making you feel emotions for characters that go beyond just being scared of a monster and kind of make you empathize with somebody of a different age group or of a different race or of a different background and not make you necessarily consciously think I'm watching something about the way we treat the elderly or I'm watching something about racism but then those themes kind of stick in your head and, and just kind of you know it's it's a it's the spoonful of sugar that <laughs> that helps you deal with those themes without even thinking about it too much yeah I mean and not even talking like as deep as um dealing with like dementia and like old age care you you kind of touched on how it's just rare to um have a cast of seniors leading your film and horror seems to be the only genre that is is doing that right yeah that we can take more chances in horror and it, it, it's one of the many reasons I think that horror is so great, but it's also 
if you want to be very realistic, it's also because horror doesn't cost that much to make and <laughs> can return a big investment. And so people can ch take chances and, and it's less scary for a studio to put $3 million into something that's a little bit wacky than to put 30, 000, 30 million or something. So it's horror is always going to be at the cutting edge of things by its very nature because of that. But yeah, it's, it's speaking of making characters who are in their seventies or older, it's also when you do have characters like that, they're often just kind of the the cliche of the grandma and they behave very differently from what you and I would be doing if we were in the same situation. And I just really like the idea of having characters who you can very directly relate to. Like I just, you know, I think that Judith is awesome. And if she was 25 and she behaves like this she would still be awesome and you know that she was a badass growing up and that she's always been true to herself and and that was kind of important to me to have characters you could look up to and and, and kind of go well I would love to be like that you know yeah and, and Barbara Hershey really brings the character to life too like I'm sure like as a horror fan it had to be a dream to to know that you're going to be directing a movie with Barbara Hershey oh my god yes she's so awesome yeah, yeah. When, when and on top when of that getting... she's just very you know she's she takes it very seriously, but she also has such a great sense of humor. And it's it's funny because at the beginning of the shoot, she joined the production kind of pre-production wasn't very long, but it casting is not easy, especially for a part like this. So everything is a little bit slow. And so she joined, I think, maybe 10 days before we started shooting. So we didn't have a ton of time to spend together before that. We had lunch a couple of times. We went through the script together. We had a couple of phone calls, but we didn't know each other very well. And so that first week was kind of finding our feet and finding each other and kind of learning to trust each other. And at times I was like, I'm not sure she, you know, I'm not sure this is going to gel the way that it was a little bit kind of testing each other. And then I don't know, but at some point it just kind of clicked. We both started trusting each other much more. And by the end of production, we would make fun of each other. We would make jokes at each other. It was just, it was such a happy collaboration and, and such a, yeah, I have so many memories of uh, having a lot of fun with her. That's so great. Uh, so, like, what, like visually, like, what were some of the inspirations? Like, I want to talk to you about that monster that you got in this movie. But, like, visually, like, <laughs> what were some of the inspirations you were pulling from uh, when you were, you know, talking to people about how you wanted the movie to look? Um, I put together a whole reference. Like, one of the things that I really like when I'm when I prep anything is coming up with visual references and making those little lookbooks. And then I'll have a page about what I'd like the location to be like. And then I'll have a page that's just all about the wallpaper that we should have. And then I'll have a page with the knickknacks. And then I'll have like the kind of lighting or the kind of everything, like the, the costumes for each character. Just kind of a whole bunch of boards for references for things because that's. It's one of the parts that I enjoy a lot is kind of putting together that visual world. And you have to be very precise when you don't have a lot of time to prep and you don't have a lot of money to make it come together. So you have to know what you want. You can't just go, well, you know, give me blue, red and pink and I'll shoot it all and decide in post what's the best. <laughs> like you can sometimes do when, when you work on something a little bit bigger. So um, yeah, it was Rosemary's Baby was definitely a big inspiration. Um, I think it's a fundamental movie for any horror fan, but especially when you're putting together something that's kind of a horror mystery with strong society themes. It's an obvious touchstone, but it was very useful in terms of character and in terms of pacing, but also in the fact that it's not, you know, it's not set in a modern skyscraper. It's set in the building I would move into in an instant. It's gorgeous, <laughs> but it's old and it has history. And so that's the same kind of choice that we made here. It's not, it's not a 
very clinical nursing home. It's not the kind of place that you typically would see as as being your your retirement home. It's a gorgeous older house that again that if you told me that I can go squat that place that <laughs> I would go right away because it's just so beautiful and it has so much atmosphere inside and and so once we found that location it's almost shooting at like a gothic castle you know I I'm a huge fan of universal horror and and hammer films and anything that takes place in like period horror you know, so shooting it like this is my my castle in Transylvania, and there's always parts of darkness, but there's also gorgeous light that comes in, and there's objects that are beautiful, but then if you look at them from certain aspects, you're like, oh no, there's a little bit the shadow that it casts is disquieting, or actually they're a little bit spooky, or or they have a history, or whatever. Is it, that's the kind of thing that I wanted to put together. So it's it's kind of doing something that has themes that are very real life and very practical and very scary from a very real life point of view, but then casting that kind of gothic shadow on it. And visually, it's just so, such an amazing senior's home. Like, I don't care how sinister it is. Like, I would sign up (laughs) as, like, I'm checking in. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And I thought that was also... You know, Judith, she's a she's a ballet dancer. She's a she's an artist. She's a creative. Why would she want to commit herself to a place that's sterile and, and, and boring? She would want to be in a place like this. So so it even worked for the character. It's not just a purely artistic creative choice. It's it's also very much kind of this is the kind of stuff that it would work for her. And and during the daytime, it's a very inviting place, but then at night it takes on that other kind of dimension. That, and again, both aspects of that I would move into. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you know, it's it's really interesting when you talked about her checking in, because in a typical movie like this, you would expect the character to be forced into it by their family. But it's it's a decision she makes, which I found interesting. And I, I loved hearing you, you mentioned Rosemary's Baby as an inspiration, because I don't know, like the, the gaslighting that's happening in this is completely different than what you normally see, because the, there is like an air of believability, like more more of an air of believability to it because she could maybe actually have dementia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in many ways, like even the people who want to be useful and helpful are not able to because they don't know how to speak to her, which is very, I find very true to what I've seen in the way that we speak to older people. And especially when there's talk of dementia or any kind of diminished faculties in any way, then then suddenly it's as if we didn't know how to deal with it. And and I'm guilty of that too, you know, not believing something that someone tells me because I think that, oh, they clearly don't see very well or they clearly are not thinking straight or whatever it is. But it's 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 a scary environment where people will not help you even if they have the best of intentions because they will not believe you. And that kind of tied thematically with what I wanted to talk about, but it also very much is a staple of horror, isn't it? That you can't you can't call for help. It's just not gonna happen. People don't know how to help you. And then you can build on that relationship that she has with her family, whether it's with her daughter and then in contrast to that with her grandson and and seeing how different people react to um, what's happening to her. There's such a great moment in the film where um the doctor is giving her um like a, an updated prognosis and asks her to leave the room so he can speak to her daughter about her (laughs) condition and I think that that just describes exactly kind of what you're saying there when she's just like I'm not a child you can talk to me about about what's happening and it's it just really hits you (laughs) and she's 
she's a strong person. And when you said earlier, she makes a choice to go into that nursing home. She has her own agency. She is not a passive character. And from the start, she's someone who makes decisions for herself and she's in control of her, you know, of her life. And then that gets stripped away little by little. And I thought that's, that's kind of, that's what happens very often when you get older, you have to relinquish some of that control that you have. And, and sometimes you really have to trust the people who are around you and then you have to hope that that trust is is well placed but it was that idea of just kind of like seeing someone who was that you can relate to immediately because she does not she's not passive she's someone who's very much kind of making decisions for herself and then all those decisions being slowly taken away from her and what does she do when she has no other option left yeah it's, it's really weird like we t- we always talk about body horror as being sort of like a metaphor for for growing old but it's it's weird that we never just refer to horror movies about old people as body horror because it kind of really is right like you're you're watching yourself disappear before a, your eyes it's like a different kind like a psychological version of body horror i think this movie it's fucked like me body up. and mind isn't <laughs> yeah. it it's, it's both of it but yeah yeah and i, I didn't push that aspect very much here because I, I didn't i didn't want to make it look like aging is bad it's not that's not what the message is at all that yeah. the, the the thing that i wanted to look at is more like the way that we treat people when they get older and so it was less about like my body is crumbling although there is like you said that that's kind of a foundation of horror that everything is kind of a metaphor for what happens to our bodies when we're another and and uh I didn't want to go too far in that direction. It felt more like the way that we treat people, the way that we don't believe them, the way that we ourselves look at when you picture yourself in 30, 40 years, it's just like, it feels like you're talking about someone else. It feels like you're not, that's not yourself. And yeah. and Judith is still such a, a present character. When she comes to the facility, she still has like all of her agency and all of her personality and it shines through the whole film. She's swearing, she knows what absinthe is, like she's she's a feisty lady. <laughs> she is, she's lived and she's just it's and that was funny because a lot of people when they read the script originally were like, old people don't speak like that. And it's just kind of why not? Like, what, at what age do you go, well, fuck it, I can't swear anymore. Like, that doesn't make any sense. It's just, you know? And the, the, the people I know who are in their 70s swear as much as anybody else. Oh, I'm they sure do. Lynn Shay, who is wonderful, and she is so funny, but she swears like a motherfucker. <laughs> I'm so happy I remember telling her that. I, I remember telling her that, that people had issues believing that older people swear and she was like of course we fucking swear (laughs) everybody in your movie too is also like a secret horror fan like grandma (laughs) like her grandson everybody grandma like she's watching body bags in in her in her bedroom at night and uh, and they're they're playing a cool board game i know you showed us some of the board games you have in your office is that horror trivia game real Yes, it is. Oh my god, I don't have it here. That's a shame. Uh, it's it's in the box behind me. But yes, it's uh, it's called Goth, and it's it's a horror trivia game where you have to collect gravestones, and uh, and I've played it with friends many times. And I thought that it would be fun. First of all, I mean, I'm a horror geek, as you can tell, and <laughs> and I, it's it's like that thing of Stephen King writing characters who are writers. Yeah, I write horror nerds. <laughs> it just makes sense. It's people I can relate to. I don't feel like horror movies do it often enough, to be honest. I don't feel like there's often enough people who have awareness of horror movies. And I know that that's kind of a postmodern cliche and you don't want to push that too far, but there's something about it that's kind of, that's kind of fun because that's who we are watching the movie. We're horror fans. So it just, but yeah, I wanted to have those also elements to bond the grandson and the grandmother and having common interests. And maybe there was a scene that used where they used to discuss the fact that 
she would be the one who would who would allow him to watch horror movies like she oh, couldn't watch cool. horror, he couldn't watch horror movies at home but which is kind of what i had with my grandma when i was little she didn't watch the movies she did not like horror but she would tape things off tv and just be like i think she might be interested in that and sometimes i absolutely was not and it was crap but sometimes <laughs> it was just like it was a gem and it was awesome and yeah, it's just, it was little things to try to build their relationship together. And so they, they wear t-shirts that kind of mirror each other. And, and he's wearing a Dark Delicacies t-shirt at some point. And I know there was a Blumhouse t-shirt at some point. And I was like, no, this is just a little bit too much. I don't want to have that. Yeah. Oh, that's really cute. So uh, let's 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 talk about the monster in the movie. Because um, yeah. he's really cool looking. Where did Where did that idea come from? <laughs> I mean, first of all, having a monster in your movie, like getting to play with practical effects is just so fun. And it's something I've wanted for a long time. And so I was very passionate and very dedicated about how we're going to design this and what it should look like. And, and it was funny, I went to, so we went to uh, Illusion Industries, the Talk Talkers company, with incredibly talented people um, and, ta- and talented sculptors and, and designers and, and, and everything. And they're very kind of, you show up and instead of just being, yeah, we like the script, it's fine. They've already made this bust that looks beautiful oh, cool. and they've made concept designs of what they think that it should look like. And it was very close to the concept that I brought actually, which they hadn't seen yet. And again, that made a whole kind of visual presentation. Here's the kind of the textures that he should have. And here's the kind of shape of the head. And here's what, and and so they took that and they, and they turn it into this, I think quite beautiful character um, that looks like almost like a cross between it's almost like a skeleton made of wood kind of thing. Yeah. Like he has those big teeth and the, the branches shape those kind of rib cage and he has beautiful spine and like it just looks really cool. And then we have this awesome creature performer, Mark Steger, who just knows how to move in a suit, and, which I admire so much because it looks incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> it's not something I'd be able to do. Although I wish I could because it's so cool. But, but yeah, and then, then the first day that we shot the monster was Halloween. It was oh, just the, no the best Halloween I've ever had. We, I was dressed like a witch, and everybody was in costume. Like the the costume girls were dressed as the twins from The Shining. Oh, like wow. there was someone who was dressed as a like the, the camera assistant was dressed as a mime. So every time you see him come up with the clapperboard <laughs> on the footage, he, there's like this black and white mime because it's so spooky. <laughs> so it was already the best day ever. And then we had the monster, and at lunchtime I got to go and kind of see what the what he finally looked like in, in real life. And then John Carpenter visited the set. So it was just wow. like, just a horror movie dream. Just the whole the whole day was fantastic. That is literally the <laughs> horror fan's best day. <laughs> right? <laughs> I during the day I was kind of obviously I was focused on shooting, so so I, I could take in what was going on, but to a point, you know, and then at night when I when it was done, I sat in my car and I just went, Holy shit. Holy <laughs> shit, all this just happened. And also some of my best friends visited, like my boyfriend visited and Mike Mendez visited and, and Dave Parker. And like, it was just so fun. You know, it was just kind of, wow, my buddies are here. John Carpenter is here. I'm making a horror movie. There's a monster. I'm just like a witch. This is, this is too much, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. That sounds like the best day ever. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. Yeah. Best Halloween for sure. <laughs> so how did you, so how do you, how do you know Sandy King? She, she produced, executive produced this. And... She did. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I met her. It's funny, I was at a panel years ago at Monster Palooza, which is this big convention here in LA, and I was invited by Ryan Twerk from Blumhouse. So it was run by Blumhouse, even though I didn't know Blumhouse. And I met Mike Flanagan on the panel, who I worked on later on yeah. for Bly Manor and for Midnight Club. 
and I also met Sandy King. So it just kind of feels like sometimes you go to a thing thinking, oh, it's just a panel at some convention. And then it ends up being this kind of, oh, no, those are all the people I'm going to work with in the future. No, we just had a very casual conversation at the time. And then we, we actually have the same agent. And so when I finished the script, my agent thought maybe Sandy would be a good person to send that to. And of course, you know, both being aware of what a legend she is and what a powerhouse producer she is, is like, yes, that would be amazing. But also having met her in person and thinking she is such a badass. Like she is, I think she's one of the coolest people I've ever met. Have you guys met her? No. no. She is so cool. She's just, talk about someone who doesn't take any shit and has a sharp <laughs> sense of humor. At least she is just <laughs> the best. And then she, she really liked it. And she, we met at her office and we chatted for four hours about anything but the script. And at the end, it was just kind of like, okay, let's get this made. <laughs> but we talked about earthquake preparation. We talked about, you know, stuff that has nothing to do with the movie, but also some of the themes of the movie, but just kind of in a more oblique kind of way, but, but understanding why she was interested in it. And uh, yeah, and then we took it to Amazon with her and, and she was... She was my rock throughout the making of this. She was, she's just incredibly fierce in the way that she defends her filmmaker. She's, she feels like her job is to make sure that the director has everything they need to get the film made that they want to make and to support that. And sometimes if you ask for her opinion and she doesn't agree with you, she will tell you. But even if she doesn't agree, she's the kind of producer who understands that the best is to have a coherent vision. And to make sure that that happens and not to pull it apart in 50 different directions. So she kind of makes sure that everybody goes in the same direction and, and kind of supports your vision. That's so perfect, too, because it's like you really want somebody like as a filmmaker to support you as the artist and like really protect the core of the idea. Yeah, it's great yeah. to have somebody in your corner like that. Yeah, and someone who has such extensive experience and who understands every aspect of production and every aspect of the shoot. And, and if you ask her for advice, and she's also very good at if things don't go well and things always go through a stage where they don't go well, whether in <laughs> prep or in post or at, at any point. So, you know, when, you, when you're making a project, you're working on something for so long, of course, at some point, something will, will go wrong. And, and then it feels like it's the end of the world as a filmmaker, you know, because you're so deeply connected to it. She's very good at just talking to you and putting things in perspective and making you feel better about things and and sometimes in the way it's just kind of you know very rebellious and very kind of like very nihilistic sometimes but somehow finds the right words to make you feel like no this is good I can go for this she sounds like an outlaw like, <laughs> <laughs> she's I, I don't know why she doesn't produce every movie because everybody needs a sandy <laughs> So, I mean, you have, uh, you know, you've, you've obviously directed feature films, you've directed for television, you've directed for streaming. Like, do you have a preferred medium that you work with? Um, I enjoy all of it, honestly. Um, writing and directing, I got to do a bit of everything the last few years, which is incredible and really, really cool. Um, directing, definitely over writing. I like writing, but I'm, I have trouble especially since the pandemic, for some reason, they have trouble focusing on stuff. So sitting down in front of a computer, I find it kind of hard lately. But I would love to do more features and TV that's, that I originated, I guess, whether I wrote it or whether I develop it with someone else, but something that feels a bit more mine. That's the goal very much. But I love doing episodic as well. You know, it's just really fun that you get to come in and just commit a month or two months of your life to someone else's vision, but it's playing in the world that has all the 
it, it's it's what is it that Orson Welles said? Like it's like playing with the big train set. I think yeah, it's think really that you get all the cool tools and all of like oh here's a crane, here's a whatever you need. Like that all the technical tools will be thrown at you when you have those amazing performers because they know their characters already and they how cool it is to be able to go on American Horror Story and to work with Evan Peters and to work with Sarah Paulson and Francis Conroy who are just so good and. I want to be able to keep picking the projects that I go on to. I wouldn't like to just do television for the sake of doing television, although I realize how incredibly privileged it sounds to say that, but just being able to choose, like making sure that it's the kind of material that I really feel personally invested in, because I feel like, again, filmmaking is difficult. It's joyful, but it's really hard too. And, and if you're doing that, it's something that you don't fully believe in. I don't think it would be much fun. But so far, I've been lucky enough that I got to do, you know, Haunting of Bly Manor it was so much tailored to my taste. Like, it was so clearly, oh, God, that episode was just such a gift. It was so great. And, and getting to do that and getting to do Creed Show and to do American Horror Story. Like, it's just, if you told me that I would be doing all those things in 2020, 2021, like 15 years ago, I would have been like, get the fuck out of here. It's just, <laughs> this is crazy. <laughs> And it really seems through through all of those projects that gothic horror oh, yeah. is really your niche. The the gothic of Bly Manor and your creep show <laughs> episode and your your feature film. All of these aesthetics of yours are all perfect for all of the, the side streams that you have, all the side projects. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I think that some people would be scared of being typecast or being just pigeonholed into a, a specific genre and I know that that's something I discussed with my reps where they're like but you're new not scared that that's all people are going to call you for I'm like no I want people to know that I'm that bitch like, you, have, <laughs> you have the gothic horror thing you need to get done like send it to me this is this is mine you need and a I big spooky that, house you know, the, the best what's that I said you need a big spooky house I got this yeah yeah I got you a big spooky house all right and the ghosts and the, <laughs> that's definitely my thing but I think that when you look back at the career of filmmakers that you like they don't always necessarily deal with the same like not everything will be a ghost story or not everything like they, they might go and do very different things but you can see kind of a through line in their work when you look at John Carpenter's body of work you can see that every movie was very much his when you look at I don't know pretty much any filmmaker that you that you'd like most of the time the ones that we admire tend to be very cohesive in their vision and they might deal with very different subject matters but you kind of feel like no, that was definitely a David Cronenberg movie. That was definitely a Wes Craven movie. That was definitely, you know, and, and I would love to have people see that. And even if I'm doing episodic, that people could still see, you know, I see who Axel is and I see what she likes and what she wants to do. That's the dream anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, like, if you had, you know, if you, if you had, like, an unlimited budget, like, what's what's your dream project? I assume Gothic, but, like... Put <laughs> the Haunted Mansion. Oh yeah, yes. make a, a haunted mansion show. Yeah, for sure. This could not have been a better answer. <laughs> That's amazing. Are you no, I would love that. It's just, it's such a. It's funny. I always say that what I think I like in horror is that I find comfort in the supernatural, and I feel like there's something about being able to think that there's something beyond life that even if it's something that's that can be evil and spooky is more reassuring than thinking that there's nothing and the haunted mansion is exactly that and i think that part of the appeal of the haunted mansion for anybody you know just for me but i think it's that idea of like there's 99 999 happy haunts here and you could be the thousandth and look at how fun death looks when you look <laughs> at the mansion it is super twisted but it's kind of reassuring that you think well maybe yes maybe i'll be a little ghost who'll be like 
talking to a mummy in her sarcophagus and will be like there's a weird opera singer <laughs> or whatever but it's it's fun it makes it look like it's fun and that's comforting and that's the kind of stuff that I would love to do with a show like this and make it look beautiful and make it look like you know it's it's spooky but it's also um a place you'd like to live in a way and with 999 ghosts, like the possibilities are endless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could do a show that continues for years on that. But it's, there's so many options. And, and I, I love hearing that they're thinking of doing a, a show besides the feature that they're developing. I just wish that at some point that landed on my desk as well. But yeah. <laughs> you got to just put it out into the universe like it's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you also mentioned earlier that you're directing an episode for the the Midnight Club, which is coming to Netflix at some point. I don't imagine you can talk too much about it, but uh, do you have anything that you can share about the episode you're working on? Well, I can say that it's not Midnight Mass. Oh, so Midnight, Midnight Mass, Mass is coming out. No, 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 no. You said Midnight Club. You got it okay, right. Good, but a lot of people get confused. And so they think that I have something coming out in, in Midnight Mass, which is the one that's getting released in September from mike but mike directed all of that and i cannot wait to see it you guys I, everything i've heard about it is just it sounds like it's phenomenal but it's uh it's the show that comes out after that i don't know when sometime next year i guess which is called midnight club it's based on christopher pike books i got to do two episodes again there's some solid emotional stuff in there but there's also some really fun kind of spookier stuff it's I don't know. It has its own tone and it's very different from what I've done before for him and very different from Bly Manor, very different from everything else. But I think it's going to be great. And it has a fantastic cast of eight. They play teenagers, but they're all a little bit older, but just kind of eight kids who are incredibly talented. One of them is Iman Benson, who was in my episode of Creepshow <laughs> by right. coincidence. And she's phenomenal. She's just, yeah, I can't wait for people to watch that because I think those characters are going to be, people are going to fall in love with them. That's awesome. I was such a big Christopher Pike fan. Like R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike, they got me through the the 10 to 12s. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I had never read Christopher Pike, I have to oh, admit. Wow. To my embarrassment, I had never read him until I did this. And then I read a whole bunch of his books. And, you know, they've aged in an interesting way. <laughs> <laughs> they are, they, I've, I've revisited a few, too. Like, they're a fun kind of summer read. But you're just like, oh, yeah, this is a product of the early, early 90s. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Some of the humor, some of the characters, like the, all the boys being horn dogs. It's oh, funny. <laughs> it's funny how sometimes some of those storylines are so wacky, and then Mike takes that and turns it into beautifully resonant, amazing, thematically gorgeous stories. And you're like, oh my god, you're so so good at this. <laughs> So we, we like to ask everybody that comes on the podcast uh, what their dream devil feature would be at the drive-in. If you could play any two movies, what would you play? Oh, shit. You know, I'd come up with something really good the other day, and I can't remember it because <laughs> I, oh, my God. Um, can we come back to that one? Sure. There's so many things that I'm just really frustrated because I'd come up with a really good one the other day, and I'm like, yes, I should share that with the world, and now that I can get the chance, <laughs> of course I forgot it. That's okay. I think I think we're coming up we're coming up on our time, but um but do you have any other projects that you've that you're working on? I know you said you're having a hard time writing during COVID. Um but do you have any other No, projects I'm actually coming? I'm finishing a script that I I uh would love to get made that's a little bit challenging as well and the the settings that I have in mind. So I'd be very interested to see what the reaction is to that and I'm trying I'm in the early stages of trying to develop a TV show as well, but I'm um Again, would love to do 
stuff that's mine and then work on other people's projects as well. I don't have something lined up just right away after this, but it'll be good because I'm, I'm actually, I've been lucky enough to be shooting since the beginning of the year and haven't had much of a break since. So oh, wow. I'll be enjoying a little bit of a break, but hopefully not too much, but just like spooky season, just so I can do yeah. some haunts and recharge and then go back and do something else. That's actually what I was going to ask. Like, did you have any plans for this Halloween? Like, what do you what do you got in the books for the spooky season at home? I'm I got my tickets for Halloween Horror Nights, um, Universal. I there's a whole bunch of theme parks that I'm always go to. There's one called Reign of Terror that I love. That's like a long thirty minute haunt here in LA. Oh, cool. Um, there's a couple of parties like we're doing small parties or carving like pumpkin carving events there's a graveyard across the street from me so i like to meet there and, and last year we did a, a pumpkin carving session in the graveyard and it was so much oh, fun wow. That's so um, cool. yesterday i went apple picking which was seems corny as hell but i love it and it's always one of my favorite days of the year yeah and the first corn maze of the season and yeah it's just it, there's so much it's 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 the best time of the year it's a time where everybody catches up with the spookiness that we lived through the entire year. Otherwise, it, it's cool because you feel like an outcast, like t- eleven months out of the year, and then like October comes, and you're like, "You guys are all welcome. Come, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun to be weird." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you get to do all the spooky shopping and get all the all the kitchen utensils you need for the year, or whatever housewares they get. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Did you did you get a chance to to think about your dream double feature? Uh, no, I did not. But let me go with The Hunger and Dracula's Daughter. Oh, Ooh. man, that's a great lineup. That is. A so good I'm going to do a, a, a sexy, bisexual, female vampire double bill. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank They're you. both like gothic and gorgeous and awesome and, and have amazing female protagonists that um, I think should be way more known and iconic. Yeah, we saw Dracula's Daughter for the first time like a year ago, and we've watched it like four times since. Like, it's... Isn't it crazy that it's not better known and oh, that yeah. everybody will talk? Like even Son of Dracula is better known than that, and it's not very good. And Dracula's Daughter is generally pretty awesome, oh, and, the and costumes? no one's heard like, of it. Oh, it's gorgeous. Right? Gorgeous. I, I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's... Uh... I mean, and, and I love that kind of weird vibe of, of, of female vampires that kind of started with that and then goes through Hammer films with Ingrid Pitt and then The Hunger and like there's so many Dracula that the um, Daughters of Darkness. And, yeah. Like I, I would love to make a movie in that subgenre. I think that'd be really, really cool. Well, I think we should petition for you to do more the female yeah. vampires. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, thank, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. I hope you have a happy Halloween. <laughs> You too. Thank you so much. much. The Manor is available to stream on Amazon Prime Video beginning October 8th. It's part of the Welcome to the Blumhouse double feature event, which has kicked off the 2021 Halloween season. Last week we had Black as Night and Bingo Hell, and this week we have Madras and The Manor. Let us know what you thought of The Manor and all of the Welcome to the Blumhouse films over on Twitter at NOFS Podcast and in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord. As always, you can support Nightmare on Film Street by joining the Fiend Club, which gives you access to bonus content exclusive to Fiend Club members, merch discounts, live streams, watch parties, temporary tattoos, membership cards. There is a private channel in the Nightmare on Film Street Discord just for you to hang out and talk horror with your fellow fiends. You can find all of that information over at nofspodcast.com slash fiendclub, but as always... 
uh, especially during the Halloween season, you can support Nightmare on Film Street for $0 just by recommending it to a friend, by sharing your thoughts on this week's episode on social media, and by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the horde and get the show in front of more fiends like yourself. While you're at it, check out the 31-Day Horror Challenge that we have going on right now on Instagram and Twitter. 31 horror movies in 31 days leading up to Halloween, a new theme every day, and most importantly, we are giving away prizes all month. We're giving away shirts from the Nightmare on Film Street merch store every week, and a grand prize which we are giving away on Halloween night, which includes Shout Factory's Collector Edition box set of John Carpenter's Halloween, which also includes a really rad seven inch red orange yellow splatter vinyl record from sacred bones uh there's a blu-ray copy of trick-or-treat there's a backlight for your tv we've got pumpkin led lights to help you keep that halloween spirit alive 365 you can play along on twitter and instagram by using the hashtag 31 day horror challenge posting the movies that you're watching each day with the given theme, and by entering the contest at nofspodcast.com slash 31dayhorrorchallenge2021. But that's it from us this week. Have a happy Halloween season, and stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.